Welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David, and uh, this week I am back in Midtown Memphis with my good buddy Chris. And uh, we would like to, uh, first of all, thank everybody uh, for listening last week. Um, we had a record number of listeners, and we think uh, this week that's going to go up again with our guests that we have. Uh, before we get started, I want to tell everybody to please follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, Facebook, Digital Kill the Radio Star Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and also subscribe via iTunes podcast and uh, SoundCloud. So, uh, like I said, I'm here with Chris, and as usual, Chris is going to talk about a new album that he recommends that has just come out. And so, I'm going to throw it to him, and then he's going to introduce our guest, and uh, we're going to have we're going to have a real good time today. Chris, welcome back to Memphis. Yeah, two weeks in a row, right? I know. Should be living here. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. Like like we always talk about, try to bring new music whenever we can. And this is something a band we discovered kind of by accident. What was it about a month ago? And yeah. So when we went to do the uh, Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, we went the night before and they had a band, this is where everybody kind of got together, and they had a band playing, a band called Denman. And I didn't know anything about them, but man, they were they just kind of blew us away. And the, the guys just rip on guitar. It's, it's brothers, I believe, the, the vocalists and, and, and the guitarists, they both play. And they're both just exceptional players. Um, we both bought an EP they had at the show, produced by Michael Wagner. And... Things just great, man. I mean, if, if you want to check out just good classic rock, check these guys out. Again, they're called Denman. Some of it kind of reminds me of, you know, we were playing it for our buddy Kate, and I was playing it last week, and he agreed with me completely. It almost has kind of a striper feel to it. And Mark um, Slaughter play, plays on it as well. Particularly the song with Mark Slaughter, that, yeah. what is it, uh, Miles Away From Home. Man, that really, that intro sounds straight up like, you know, Sweet Nas Fox. It's just, it's awesome. But anyway, as you said, we've got a we've got another special guest with us. Um, pretty excited about this one. You know, we we've, we've talked about it before that you know we're both big fans of just rock music and the music that came in the '80s and the early '90s, and talk about that was always kind of our gateway drug to music. Well, being a kid from Memphis, Tennessee, you know, this was a band that meant a lot to me. Always did. Always loved this band, and you know we have so today we have the vocalist with us. We have Mr. Rick Rule. Hey, hey, I've invited you home. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. We're happy to have you, man. We're really excited about yeah. this, and we're, we're going to just talk everything about, about the band, you know, how, how we got to where we are now, and talk about a new record coming sure. out. Sure, sounds so, good. So, Rick, whenever we have a guest on, we ask them two, everybody that comes on, we ask them the same two questions. Your earliest memory of music, and what was the first band that hooked you into music for the rest of your life? Uh, earliest memory... Um, my uncle Greg was a traditional drummer, excellent drummer. Uh, I grew up, you know, since I was knee high to a grasshopper, you say, uh, watching him play drums, and uh, he got me playing drums. And then um, I was seven. My mom took me to see Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare, and uh, I was hooked after that. You know, I was, you're, yeah, you're not. That's gonna do it. You're yeah. not. The, you're not the first person. That yeah, says that. I mean, uh, you know, just seeing that big of a, a, a stage show and the whole whole uh, shebang was. Uh, Pretty cool, you know. So, it just had me. so it sounds like you grew up in somewhat of a musical family. Oh yeah, my uncle worked for Charlie Daniels for 29 years. Uh, wow! All my family, uh, on my my stepfather's side, he uh, they all worked with music groups. So uh, yeah, I met a lot of people and was kind of on the had the back door entrance to uh, a lot of cool things. Saw a lot of insider stuff. Really? Well, that, that I'm sure that helped you 
kind of how to navigate the business somewhat in a way yeah <laughs> this business is kind of hard to navigate no matter what uh, what kind of directions you have you, you know that that to be mentioned alice cooper i've actually seen every mother's nightmare play i don't know if you're still doing it but i've seen you play i'm 18 yeah you do that a couple times we used to do that's, that that's do that really a lot. cool that's always cool yeah we actually recorded on a, a live record we did uh uh umpteen years ago and uh, yeah i mean it's just one of my heroes you know yeah. so you you said playing the drums was that what you started off playing started off playing or well, trying to play the drums i'll say you know i can hold a beat but uh you know nothing fancy i can write with it i got an, i got enough skill to write but, uh, <laughs> my my uncle was a he was an incredible drummer and uh, you know so that didn't rub off on me much <laughs> that's interesting you know todd Poole from roxy blues oh he's a great drum, drummer too, drummer yeah. as well and both yeah. of y'all step out you know and, and sing i guess it's a little bit more common than people think too i mean think about one of the most famous vocalists was a drummer steven tyler well, yeah. right you know Janie lane drummer yeah phil collins phil collins. Yeah. phil collins um so you started off playing drums at what point did you realize you wanted to to try you know try your hand at singing well, I, I went through the uh, the gauntlet of stuff. I played rhythm guitar for uh, about four days in a band called Hard Knocks. And uh, after the fourth day, they uh, he said, uh, we want you to come over and try singing. And uh, so we were at it. There was a big party in a double-wide trailer up in uh, East Tennessee. And there was probably 300 people crammed in this trailer and all around it. And the band was playing in the kitchen. And I uh, got up and uh, sang a couple of cover songs. And... Uh, you know, I was, I was like, well, here, here's my spot. Here's what I'm going to do. So, do you remember what they were? Man, uh, they were actually, uh, they were cover songs, but they were covers off of an album called Mark of the Rocker, which is the band that I joined called Hard Knocks. It was, came out in probably 80, I want to say 80, either 83, 86, but it was just a local um, a local record that was pressed up. And uh, the band was uh, a great band. And uh, I, I really liked them, and I just kind of followed them, and I, I followed them close enough for when there was an opening I could get in, and then it gave me the gave me the the shoehorn to hear. So, well, so then, how long after that did it, did Every Mother's Nightmare come in? I mean, what around what time frame, and how was the band formed? Um, well, we were I was like I said I was playing in Hard Knocks, and. Uh, and uh, we were playing with some of the guys that from Hard Knocks went to a band called Justin Heat, and uh, we were playing in Nashville and Knoxville together. And uh, you know how bands do. Some band, uh, some members of our band left to join their band. Some came to ours, and uh, somehow I ended up in Nashville uh, playing with uh, Jim Phipps and his uh, his band that he had. And I got down there, and we did two or three shows with them guys, and. Uh, uh, I just started firing people and putting a band together. <laughs> All right, so th- that leads to our next question. We have, Chris and I have always assumed you guys were a Memphis band, but if you read about you, like on Wikipedia, it yeah. says you were a Nashville band. So is was it is it partially right, partially wrong? Partially or? right. It's uh, we were a Tennessee band. I mean, I started in Knoxville, and there was there's not a real good music scene in Knoxville, and I was like trying to get in the door somewhere and I was like well man there's no no better place than Nashville it's like you know every record company in the world's right there you know it's a little harder going going a, a rock band through the country country uh, route but um, I went to Nashville and I moved in a um, when I started playing with Jim I moved in a 10 by 20 store all had a door and an air conditioner heater no windows I took a sleeping bag a guitar 
and an Ampeg amp and a black and white TV that didn't pick up no channels. And uh, I lived in that thing for probably four or six months. And, um, you know, just put started people. Uh, uh, I had Jim, I was playing with him, and then, you know, people would, was found out I was living there. And uh, I had some guys stop by and, uh, you know, a couple more guys stopped by. And before you know it, I had enough people there to start actually playing with and uh, put the band together and we wrote probably uh, 12, 14 songs and uh, called the guy that was managing Doc Fields. He was managing, uh, managing me and uh, I said, man, I got a band together. I've got some songs. He came out and heard us play and uh, it seems like a month later we uh, we'd maybe done two or three shows in uh, Nashville and uh, there was a couple, maybe a month or two later we were, uh, he said, let's go to Memphis. They're having a producer showcase down there and uh, we came down here. We we didn't. We weren't even in the producer showcase, and we played for Eli Ball, and uh, he threw us on the producer showcase the night before we played. So there was an empty spot. He jammed us in there the last night, and uh, you know we pulled uh, pulled a deal. And um, it's just luck and timing, you know. So y'all had just played a handful of shows. Yeah, you maybe got thirteen time. tops. At, uh I mean. You know, just here and there. I think we did our first show in Cookville, Tennessee, in a drama center. Nobody ever heard of us. We pulled like 450 people in that place, and uh, you know, just started kicking down doors. And uh, came to came to Memphis, and uh, you know, we lucked into a deal, and uh, here we are, <laughs> 25 years later. So you signed about six months in. You got a yeah, deal I mean, it was, it that's, was that's impressive. Well, it, it was uh, it was very. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We wanted a record deal. We knew how to get a record deal. We knew we had to have songs, and you had to have this kind of song or whatever, but we really didn't know nothing about recording. We didn't know nothing about the business. You know, We just knew that we wanted a record. We wanted to put it out, and so I do everything ass backwards anyway, so I ran into a big record deal. I did two records, and then I had to figure out what to do with the record deal, and now here I am today. I've got it kind of together, and, and I've kind of got a handle on it, and um. You know, still learning every day. So, and so a lot of the songs you wrote, you know, initially when you're in Nashville, those make the debut record. Oh yeah, love can make you blind. Uh, listen up, um, Lord willing. Uh, just about everything was. Uh, I think we wrote three or four songs here with Damon Johnson and uh, R. T. Scott. You know, he's been around here for forever. Um, we wrote uh, three songs with them and then uh, did a record. And uh, like I said, you know, we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. They just you know we just grip it and rip it and um so at, the, at that point damon johnson was was living in memphis yeah he used to play with the delta rebels before he was uh before he was brother king yeah i've known damon for great guitar player i've known him for ever and ever oh, we're and big, day. we're yeah. big fan oh, i love damon that, Man, anytime we're in close to each other we hug and kiss so <laughs> I, guess, I guess that makes sense you know because one of my a, a good friend of mine he, you probably know because he was in this on the scene forever mike mcdonald guitar player yeah he's told me before that you know about damon johnson you know what a great guy is, and I never kind of put two and two together that he lived here and played in the bands in Memphis. Oh yeah, man, he um, he uh, he's like very very versatile, you know. I didn't, he never uh, the whole time I knew him from here, he never sang a note, you know, other than you know. He's a great voice, and uh, you know, uh, the last uh, when he first started writing for Brother Kane, we were all up in Nashville writing with a guy named West Arkeen, which he wrote. Guns and Roses. Uh, yeah, wrote. wrote Guns and Roses, and we were all three in the same hotel, so we just got our room together and all started writing. But wow. yeah, Damon, uh, he's a good guy. So 
you guys never even had the temptation then to move to L.A., did you? No. Nah. You're, you're here and you got – they came to you and – my whole family, half my well, half my family's in Orange County, and we used to go there a lot. But man, there ain't no better place in Tennessee, man. It's, it's you know, it's a good place, clean. Uh, it's a good spot. So, was there a bidding war for you guys, or we had a bidding war going between uh, Atlantic and well, there really wasn't a bidding war. What it was is uh, we were uh, with Jason Flom with Atlantic. He was coming to see us a lot. And then uh, Mitchell Cohen came down from uh, Arista, and uh, he got Clive involved. And, you know, anytime anybody would put an offer out, he Clive would either double it or he would just kill it. I mean, so – and uh, I really liked going with Arista at that point because, you know, they had maybe Crocus was their only rock band. So I was like, you know, I can go with Atlantic, and they got 50 bands, and I can go with Crocus uh, – go with uh, Arista, and they got one or two bands, and they'll – you know, put the time in, and uh, so that's where we went. Plus, like I said, anytime there was a offer given, Clive just would would mow it down with a bigger offer. So, well, well, first of all, that's just that's got that had to have been just overwhelming. You know, coming from yeah, Eastern Tennessee, and now you've got Clive Davis. <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, biggest one of the biggest rock, oh. just record moguls ever. Yeah, he signed some pretty serious people. Yeah, and then you know it's funny because we actually we talked about this. I was telling David this just the other day we were you know we were talking about you know having you over and doing this interview and I thought you know one thing that kind of takes I did this as a kid I still do this this day this is why one of many reasons I'll encourage buying music and having a physical product in your hand you know I like laying you know laying on the floor in front of my stereo reading the sleeves seeing turn it up yes (laughs) you wanted to see yeah you wanted to see who the band thanked you who endorsed the band the players you wanted to see who produced it all of that stuff and I was telling Davis you know I remember them being on Arista, and, and I can still, you can name a band to me, and there's a good chance I'll be able to tell you what label they right. were on. That stuff just stuck with me. I don't remember with Arista. And I was like, you know, that's kind of, seems like it was a unique yeah. situation. I, and that was one of the things we talked about. And I think so it's funny you brought that up. The only bands that, that I knew that they had, were at, uh, they had a Babylon AD at the end, and they had uh, uh, Enough's Enough for a minute. And then they had, uh, the only two bands that were there while I was with them was... Um, Crocus and uh, and us. <laughs> do, do you feel like they were intentionally trying to branch out into rock? Cause like, oh yeah. When I think Arist, I think like Whitney Houston. Oh yeah. You know stuff <laughs> like that. And so, you know, at the time, Geffen was signing, you know, a lot of the rock bands. Right. And do you think they they were like, this is the way of the future? This is we should really f- try to focus on this or? Man, uh, you know what really sold me on the deal is when we went up to play for uh, Arista in New York. Uh, everybody at the record label came out and uh, we they just had a little party type deal and we played uh, everybody said man I can't believe they were like Mitchell Cohen signed a rock band you know and that, that's why everybody from the label came and uh, he said he must be really interested in you guys so uh, you know I figured uh, you know he'd just give us a good push and uh, we'd do something different I like doing things different even though it may be a little harder so <laughs> well how was it working with Arista did they get I mean what was the did they give you kind of a writing freedom i mean creative process did they allow that or because you know, i know at that time there was so much there were so many songwriters that were involved oh yeah in, you know that that happened a lot more than i realized at right. the time you know i've read about it since you know as a you know the past couple of years and i was amazed at how many people used writers and how much they kind of controlled that but i know some they gave the freedom when we did our first uh, first record um 
you know, we were pretty much on our own, you know, we just, they just recorded. Second record, you know, everything started changing, grunge started falling in, and uh, music was turning. We, we were out on the road, and we were like, you know, we were writing a little darker and a little heavier, because that's what was happening, and uh, then that's when the, that's when the control thing started. They were like, well, if you do, uh, they, you know, I sold my soul to the devil when I did this. They called me and said, we'll give you 30 grand if you'll do, uh, you know, these couple of songs. We've got a writer, uh, I think the dude from Autograph, uh, he wrote, um, if, I, if I Have My Way or something like that, we did on a second record, which, you know, we didn't, um, we did it for the money and we sold our soul and we did Tobacco Road, which everybody in the world has done, you know, and, and, um, that's where uh, that's where our partnership kind of started to end because the record label when we first went to Arista there was you know Mitchell Cohen and a certain group of people that worked with us and then as them people started getting phased out there was new people came in and it was uh, you know they didn't know what we were about so they started throwing us songwriters and, and this and that and so it just uh, it just fizzled so does it because we we talked to todd last week we asked him about this when they put squeeze box on mm-hmm. their first record does that make you mad that they want to put tobacco road because technically that's going to cut into your profit right? well i i did it clive davis called me personally and said if you'll do this song i'm going to get it put on a movie soundtrack and this and that and uh you know he said i'll, I'll give you all 30 grand or whatever and uh you know that was just a miscalculation on my part i should have stuck to my guns and said no i'm gonna do what i do but you know i sold my soul then and i paid for it, it took me a long many years to pay for it after that so but they but they were never like you know at that time like desmond child was the big guy that yeah. like rat was using him bon jovi so but they never tried to force somebody like that on, no on you. well we were we had uh we really liked using jim Gaines because jim Gaines was from around here and uh you know he uh, he's done some pretty he did stevie ray vaughn's last record and uh um he, you know we're kind of uh i don't know we're kind of to the left of the norm of a rock band everybody kind of puts us in the categories of 80s rock band but we were more just a you know a hillbilly punk redneck band or some kind of deal i don't know what you would call it but you know it, uh, they never threw a they threw thompson and barbiero at us and we did uh I recorded a song in Nashville with them, and uh, you know, my my guy's Rhymer. <laughs> Are you talking about Justin Rhymer? Yeah, yeah. My my sister's she was always good friends with him. Went to went to I don't know if they went to high school together. If they graduated, I know they did middle school. But she's always been a big fan. He's of a him. he's a good dude. So so we go back to the debut. You know, released in '90. Got walls come down. Love can make you blind. Love can make you blind. I've got you know, reached number 22 in a mainstream rock. You're Album hits Billboard 200. You have videos on MTV. What's the experience like? I mean, if you just step back to that, I mean, it had to have happened so fast. Oh, it was from, a, it was like a said, mind blur. <laughs> from only a few months together as a band, and now you're on we MTV. We went from uh, we, yeah, we went from this room to Memphis to a van to a bus to boom. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was crazy. Um, like I said, we were it it was uh, you know we're four kids. That two of them just graduated high school, and uh, we popped to Memphis, and all of a sudden we got a record out, and then we're opening for this band. Uh, I don't even remember who it was. We were opening for them for the first three weeks on the road, and then we were they were opening for us, <laughs> and then it just um. So who did they? Who did they initially put you on a, on a bill with? 
when I think the first tour that we went out, uh, we were with um, Circus of Power, which that was a pretty cool thing because the guitar player Sonny, he was incredible. But uh, the uh, Baton Rouge was the first, our first little tour that we got to go on. $50 a night tour. So really? Uh, yeah. Opening up. And the time we hit L.A., I think they were opening for us when we hit the FM station in L.A. Okay, so so then, you know, we so after all that period, you do have Wake Up Screaming, which you kind of added some insight to that that, you know, wasn't aware of. But I definitely, there was a change in the band, you could tell, where you, you mentioned a little bit heavier, which I actually really liked. I, I love that record. You know, yeah. I told you before, I, I think that that one just had some killer tracks, everything from, you know, Already Gone, House of Pain, I Hate Myself. Is, yeah. You know, I think it's one of my favorite songs yeah. that did for sure. So, you know, I thought it was... I thought it was just awesome that, but so anyway. Well, they didn't have love. That was the biggest fight on that record was there's no love can make you blind. And I was like, well, you know, we were out on the streets, so music wasn't going there, you know. The, you know, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was getting ready to blow out, you know, and all that stuff. Well, so. how long How long from the time you guys recorded Wake Up Screaming until it came out? Uh, that was a process. Um it was a pretty good, I think we, uh, when did it come out? Uh, 03, maybe? It, it came out in 93. 93, yeah. So it took, I remember the hardest part was finding a place to record and getting hooked up with Jim Gaines, which we did it at, at Kiva over here. Um, it was, uh, I think we spent like five months just trying to get a place to record and getting Jim Gaines locked down to do it, but. Um, it was a pretty good bid. I want to say it was at least a year, year well, are and a half. You, at, at that point, are you kind of panicking because you, you see the direction that everything, like Seattle at that point is taking over and, you know, you, um, does it, do you start getting nervous? Or? No, we wasn't, because we could see it, but we were trying, we were, we were out on the road and we kind of ended. So, uh, when we really noticed it was when the record label started changing, you know, the people started changing and. You know, every, I mean, that was the biggest thing with the album was every day was, we got to have a love can make you blind, you know. And we just started calling it, you got to have a ballad to be valid right. at the end of the day. And, um, you know, it's just, it just, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, uh, you know, we were here and we were wanting to go here and uh, they were wanting us to go here. So we went here. <laughs> we separated. Even though with the ballads, though, I mean, already gone. I mean, man, they had they had a single on that. Oh, I know. You know I mean, it, I know it's not sure. It's not the typical love song and all, but but you don't want to hear the typical love song every time. <laughs> it, I, thought, I thought that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a cool song, and it was different, and that and that's what I like. That album was different. It was more it was more mature, and you know, you could definitely tell that you know, kind of the times were changing. And but I feel like that album, if it had been, and I know this is kind of common trend. This always comes up in these conversations. If that had been released a little bit earlier. Now we right. like it may have been shelved for about a year. Yeah. But if it had come out a little bit earlier, because you talk about the last albums that came out, you know, albums like Slave to the Grind were heavy, whatever. They, oh, they yeah. made it just in time. Yeah. Just in time before that wave really crashed in. And there's just a part of me that feels like if that album had been able to come out a year, year and a half earlier, yeah, I believe you I would have been able to build on that momentum. And I think that album could have been big. I really do. Well, I, I, that was the plan. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a, you know, like I said, uh, there's a lot of karma on that record. You know, I sold myself to do three songs that I shouldn't have done. I mean, you know, the the other two songs, the Pink Cadillac, uh, Pink Mustang song, um, you know, that was a, 
the band had a really hard time with doing uh, I can't even remember what it's called Slip now. Slip and Fall. Slip and Fall, yeah. Because, you know, like that that right there was really, uh, if, before I'm coming from, that was really bubblegum to where, you know, we were writing Already Gone and, you know, House of Pain and stuff like that. Well, there was just two different. Well, that, that, I was, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that does make, he does make a really good point yeah. though, when you think about that. And I always liked that song, you know, when, but... It is. If it was eighty, lot. if it was eighty-three, you know that would have been. But slip and fall is so much different. She drives a paint Mustang, keeps it. You know, it's like you know, I'm not that happy of a guy. It's so different than House of Pain. You know, I mean, House of Pain it was like, wow, man, these guys, they're bringing it with this one. Falls the wall. We were talking about drug addiction, and we're talking about a pink coat, a pink Mustang. So, <laughs> well, you know, the, the the unfortunate thing is. The, the music media in society pretty much just thinks if you were a, a rock band, a hard rock band in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, like you're pigeonholed. And, oh, yeah. and, and we've talked about, we, all right, so this is just a few bands that we kind of think the, the same about. Of course, Roxy Blue and Tor Tora, Kick Tracy, Bang Tango, The Scream, yeah. you guys. Y'all were not, you, you were more no straight up. On there. You were more straight up rock than Poison. Yeah, and, you know, and and one of the good things I think about you guys' career is you dip your toe a little bit in some things, but you you manage to stay just a straight up rock band. Well, you got to stay true to what you do. I mean, that's what got me here. You know, just that's what I grew up listening to. I listened to uh, everything from Elvin Bishop, Marshall Tucker, all the way up to the heaviest of heavy. So. Uh, I like good is good. That's what I dig about what you guys do in the internet now because, like you said about pigeonholed, and uh, we're talking about, you know, you had to have a ballad to, to get anywhere back in the day, and now you can find there's great stuff everywhere to suck that, you know. Wagner's got his you know, hands on that record right there. Um, you know, good is good, and well, you let can me, find let, it. Let me ask you this, because as a music fan, we, we've talked about this numerous times. Music is so accessible right now. Yeah, it's good right. too. <laughs> well, well, I, I kind of it, it kind of frustrates me to some extent. Let me let me explain why. So we've talked about this. Like when I was growing up, I'd save up my allowance. Yeah, and I, go buy your Aussie record. Right, right. And, and so I would research. You know, I'd, I would go to my the mall where my grandparents lived. I would research what albums I wanted. I'd read Hit Parader and everything. I'd go shop the price at all four places in the mall. <laughs> you got thirty bucks. You try you to, try. You know, and if I had some left over, I'd get some singles. You know, <laughs> but when you back then, when you bought the music, you physically had it in your hand. You had a you had a financial investment. If you you know you're twelve years old, fourteen dollars is a lot of money. You take care of it; it rises in value. <laughs> right. But you know now. I find myself with bands that that I have their entire discography. Sometimes an album comes out and I buy it on iTunes or whatever, and I listen to it once or twice, and I'm like, "Well, that didn't really do anything with me." Mm. Like, for instance, the third Winger album, Pull, when mm. it first came out, I was like, "This is horrible," wow. and I was like, "Well, I've paid all this money for it. Now it's an album that I look back on finally, you know." Th- so. I don't know. Sometimes that kind of, it, it, I feel like the accessibility, you know, and we, we on here, we hashtag everything with buy music. Right. We're like buy, whether if you buy it digitally, or I prefer buying, you know, the, the physical copy. Yes. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I worry that, that music's so accessible now that people they have a 10 second, a 10 second attention right. span. Oh, yeah. I don't like that riff. The rest of the album's not any good. Right. Well, yeah. And that is, we, there's one thing we did. We got a brand new, uh, 
green album. It's an actual vinyl record coming out, and uh, and uh, that's I dig that because I like to sit down and, and, like you said, I like to hold it and look at it and uh, read it. And, and artwork's always good on yeah, big vinyl. There's a pretty girl on there and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so then as we go along with Every Mother's Nightmare's career, you know, after Wake Up Screaming, you know, there's a little bit of time yep. between the next record comes out. I've got, you know, 2000 was when Smoking Delta Voodoo came out, which I love that record, by the way. That's my, that's my probably my favorite one. Well, I mean, the songs on there, I mean, Push, Sympathy, Somehow, you know, great, great tunes. But um, if you could just kind of walk us back that, that delay, was there, was there some, what were you doing between that time, you know, and what led to that album coming out in you know, 2000? I tell you, I came, um, I went back to uh, Knoxville after, you know, the band had kind of folded. Uh, Steve Malone said he was leaving. And, uh, you know, so I called uh, Travis Hall. from. He was from down here, a great guitar player, and he played with me forever. And uh, we came up and we wrote five songs. And this was this was probably the last uh, Arista moment, too. We wrote uh, five of the songs that were uh, on Delta Voodoo. And we sent them to, you know, Ariston. And they were like, "This has this is not love can make you blind." So, this the little space in there. I came back to Memphis, and we finished putting the band together. Probably the lowest of my lows ever. I was uh, I was doing a couch tour, and I was doing a drug tour, and I was uh, just a total mess in every sense of the word. And um, I finally uh, I had a. My last remnants of my record deal, I had an 81 Corvette, and I put the band together, and I got good, and I got off dope, and I was uh, kind of getting my crap together, and I sold my Corvette, and I went and recorded Smoke a Delta Voodoo, and it sat in my in my briefcase for, I don't know, I recorded it, uh, it probably sat in my briefcase for two, three years before it even came out, and then I hooked up with uh, Tom Mathers from Paris Records, and uh he, you know, I didn't have any anything, any kind of outlets to get anything out, cause uh, and uh, he was the only one that said, "Man, you know, I sent him a copy of it, and he liked it, and uh, he put it out, and then uh, I just started building from there, and uh, that was probably the record that got me. I was going through rehab, recording my my buddy that owned the studio. I was in such a mess when I was recording. He goes, "Man, he goes, uh, you're hard to deal with." <laughs> He goes, I'm just going to give you the key when you're done at night. Lock it up. I'll come in tomorrow. Well, I'll go through it all and clean it up. But, you know, that was my that was my worst moment, but my best, because I had to start back from scratch, and them songs were all great. I wish I had more money, but I had, you know, I sold my car for nothing just to get enough to go in the studio to do it and uh, put my guts in that thing, and I uh, started building it, and I'm back here to this point today. Well, and, I, and I, like I said, the album, too, which good for you, man. I'm happy happy you're back recording and all it's great to have you back but the that album too i just liked it because it wasn't just soaked in nostalgia you know it was all about just moving forward not trying to stay yeah. the same and i i thought you, you're talking about you, you like every it. song on there is about something that happened uh you know with going through uh you know the uh, it's pretty obvious the covers aluminum foil <laughs> you know so i never well, i never <laughs> thought about that you know i, I, mean, ne- uh, I never did think about that I that's didn't know. where i was at and that's just everything of it is coming out of this stupid haze that I was in and, uh, you know, just getting my shit together and going, man, you know, you know, my band was good. I had great guitar players and, uh, you know, I was like, man, and I love doing this. This is what I've always wanted to do. I like writing songs and, uh, so I just started hammering and I've scratched and clawed and, and ate shit and did everything I've had to do to get back to this point. 
Well, real quick, going back to the wake up screaming and the first album time period, who we're always curious who are who all did y'all t- you guys tour with? I know, like, I know you had kind of an eclectic mix. Everything, of everything. Uh, man, I've, we've been out with Wasp. Um, Love Wasp. Uh, you know, like I said, one of my favorite bands, and and not a lot of people know them, but a band called Circus of Power. And we were out with them guys, and they were just a monster three-piece rock band, and they were just, you know, incredible. But, you know, everybody from Trickster all the way up to Tesla to everybody. I mean, we've we've played with everybody, but my all-time favorite people to play with live would be Cheap Trick, because we... Uh, we played with them, and most guys you play with, they'll say, you can't use this much of the stage, you can't go here, you can't use no lights, you can't use this, and you know, them guys were just like, whatever you want, man, just go. As they said, we can't take a little Tennessee band and we don't need to be doing it, so. Well, uh, the, the music industry, obviously, I, I have no connection to it, but it, it, the business aspect of it is always, I'm very curious about it, and I don't want numbers on anything. But like, let's say when you go out on a tour with a Tesla, no. is Tesla paying you, or, or or is it their record company? Well, it's usually what happens is uh, they'll sell the the bill to a venue. You know, uh, they'll say just say there's two bands on here. We say, uh, you know, this band and this band, and we'll we'll, we'll do uh, you know. 30 grand will get both bands right. and then, then whatever the cut is you know it's usually the, the you know the promoter the venue will buy it and then you know that's that's my dealings with it anyway or you know we don't never get paid by no record anybody's record company or Tesla or anybody that we would play with you know it's it's all a you know a, I don't even know how to say it um Mainly a venue would buy it. Okay. So are you, any of these guys that y'all used to open up with, are you still friends with any of them or still hear from any of them? Oh, man, I'm friends with everybody, you know. <laughs> you know, I try, not to, I try not to piss off people much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, a lot of, you know, like Brett Michaels, we've played with him a thousand times. Uh, you know, all these bands, you know, you run across them. We used to stay in this hotel in California, and it was just a, Nothing but bands, and uh, you know, you'd see people like Chips enough and party with them, and uh, band like Spread Eagle. I don't know if you ever heard yeah, of those. Yeah. Bam, great band. Um, okay, so then you, you know, after I'll after ramble sm- for a long time. Sorry. No, man, you're fine. no, that's <laughs> what we, we want. Got, yeah, that's what we want. So after uh, after smoking Delta Voodoo, of course, you had uh, Deeper Shade of Gray, which of course another good record, which kind of again that more almost you, you talk about bands like. Marshall Tucker and all you can hear kind of southern roots rock influence which yeah. is which is cool so you record those records but then that was what I can't remember around 2002 2003 I think Deeper Shade of Grace something like in that time yeah. frame and so go of our longest stretch to 2015 you come out with the grind EP so we're getting to the modern you know to the yeah but to the good another good stretch you know without recording and um you know, it's but you've come back and you've come back with something fresh again, kind of going, building on what you've done in the past. This has more of, again, it's not staying past in nostalgia. It's coming forward, coming forward with something new, something fresh, which we appreciate with that. And well, my thing is, there's a lot of bands like us, and uh, I'm not saying no names, and I'm not condemning or by any means, but we go out and play with a lot of bands that that want to live off the songs that they've done. And what they've done, and I don't, I ain't that guy. I want to live, I want to be known for what I'm doing, 
you know, I, I'm proud of everything that I've done, and I've, you know, I've worked hard to, to do it, you know, uh, and I learned a whole lot of lessons on the way, but that's, uh, that's my thing. I, I want to be known for what's happening now, you know. Uh, I don't want to go out and, you know, just rely on playing Love Can Make You Blind is going to get me through the night because, right. you know. That ain't what I'm about. <laughs> well, you know that we're, yeah, because we're we're not going to name the band, but there's a band that we're uh, that you know we grew up liking, and they basically play the same set list. You yeah, know, ours, well, I change and, my set list every night. I know, and <laughs> I I appreciate that. You know, I, I, my I, band hates it. Like, man, you got to tell us this before you do it. <laughs> but I mean, as a music fan, you appreciate that. I because also like. Let's say let's say you guys are playing in Nashville, and I go see you guys in Nashville, and oh, they're going to be in Memphis the next night. Well, you know you're not going to get the same show. What do you want to go see? Give yeah, a I reason. Was, to I see them last week, and they played the same set. I don't. Yeah, right. You know, and, you and, know, there's songs you got to play. You know, we're always going to play "Walls and Love" and, and "Long Hair Country Boy," and you know, there's key songs off each record that you know we're trying. We try to always keep in the set, but we try to you know just move it around. One night we'll play Delta Voodoo. One night we won't. You know. Uh, and uh, like you said, you know, if somebody comes and sees you three times, they're going to know your set list by the third show. They're going, to, they're going to play this next, and it's, you know, right. And then, then who wants to do that? Yeah. yeah, that's what makes you bored. And you can Google, you can Google set list of bands, you right. know, and and it's, I'm always going to be tempted to do it, but it kind of sucks if you see 15 songs and you know that hey, my show I go to is going to be the same 15 songs. Right. So it's cool that you change it. Um, so anyway, going from VP. Look, here's my set list right here. Look, <laughs> those are all different. my latest. I got a latest one in here somewhere. I just drew up one. I was going to show you, but I oh, just well, drew up a new one. <laughs> that's cool. Well, um, so anyway, we're, let's move to let's move to the current now for sure. We've gone from the EP, and then we've got a new album coming out. Um, Grind. Tell us about it, man. Uh, I'm happiest the the most about this because. Um, I didn't know how it was going to work being the way you record nowadays. Back in the old days, you would go, everybody would get in a room and get sound and you would play the thing a hundred times till you get the right feel on it. Uh, when I came in, you know, I've never went in and recorded drum tracks first, you know, with no music, just, you know, Lonnie would go in and, and then they would start layering over it. And then we would, you know, that gave us the opportunity when we were, uh, Doing that, we started rewriting because you could hear stuff. You're like, well, let's change this. And we changed a bunch of riffs around. But, you know, it was, I call, uh, we went over to Rhymer, and uh, I didn't even know if he would work with, a, you know, an, an 80s rock band, as, as we're called. But uh, I went to, a, I liked their, all the stuff he'd done. I went and sit down at his studio with him and showed him some songs that I had. And, uh, you know, I was just like, I'm old school. Grip it and rip it. Uh, what I would really like is to put because he's got a real unique thing the way he records a little twist it's a little more modern bring it to me and um so that's what i was like man can you think we could combine what i do and what you do and uh see what happens and we wrote we uh wrote and recorded loco crazy and i got it back and i was like man i've got to do it i'm gonna do the record you know so so uh, when you're writing do you come are you the principal songwriter or are or is it like that? Do you come, hey, I have some ideas, he has some ideas, and y'all kind of mix them mix That's them usually what, when, when they'll start playing a riff or something, and this uh, God gave me this little thing when somebody plays a riff, it just all this stuff hits me, and I'm like, in my head, I hear it done, and I'm trying to explain it to them, and it's, it's like I talk in uh, 
Swahili or something. They're looking at me like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, you do this, and you over here do this, and you do But, um, you know, uh, I, I usually do all, uh, all the melodies and all the words and uh, a lot of the arrangement, but uh, I, cut the, I don't never go in and say, this is my song. I cut all songs five ways. That way there's no somebody getting a check for 100 and I'm getting a check for 20,000. Just, you know, they did all the same suffering and riding in vans and all right. that. So um, it's mainly it's five people in there fighting. And I, I told, you know, Troy and all of them when they got in the group, I said, man, if you want, if you want, you got something you like and you're wanting to, to be on a song, then you got to convince me, you got to sell me. And when you sell me, then that means that you want it enough to do it. So, right. So it, it, there's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of, you know, you, it's just, that's the way, it, that's the the friction is, is it, what makes it work. Was it me. like that from the beginning? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, it, so everything it, got split? The it, only two sides, I did that. Here's why I did it. Uh, I can't remember on the first record. They wanted us to, you know, who was the majority writer, and they cut them all up into different pieces, and I got it. This is exactly what happened. I got a check for fifteen thousand bucks, and Jim got a check for five hundred, and he rode in the van and stayed in the room and ate peanut butter and did all the same suffering and all the trying to get a deal that I did, and I just felt like, you know, I can't play drums, I can't play bass, you know, I can fumble around and write with it, but for five people to write, then five people should get a cut. You know, I mean, that's, that's extremely admirable, especially, you know, they're my brothers, man. I'm, you know, it's just, but well, for instance, I, I just got through reading Tom Petty's book and he was the one with the record contract. Yeah. And they, that's what happened to me. I was the only one signed. Well, and, yeah. And they, and his manager, manager said before the first album come out, you've got to go ahead and tell him you're getting the publishing. Yeah. And he's like, it's better to get that out of the way now. But then. I don't know. I've just I don't know if I've ever heard. Have you ever heard of anybody like taking? Like, How do you go well, up to your buddy that struggled the same to put the band together? Right. Go, hey, look, man, I'm going to be making a crud load of money, and you're not. <laughs> there is one example, and I think it's no coincidence why they stayed together the whole time until one of them just didn't want to play anymore because a lot of because of health, and that's REM. Yeah. They split 25 percent across the board, and no matter what it was, and the guys stayed together. Because I listened to a, a a podcast the other day. They had. Uh, Jerry Dixon on from Warren, mm-hmm. and uh, it, according to him, Janie got eighty five percent. Yeah, wow, I went down there. And uh, anyway, I don't know that. That's just very. Uh, that's very admirable. I think we'd have a lot more bands that stayed together if, if everybody did. If everybody, well, you did know, that. it's not about money. It's about songs. I didn't get in this to to get strung out on dope or make a lot of money because you just get lucky. It's very lucky that that you hit and make a. A, a big buttload of money, you know, right off the get go. So I can't. I did this to to write songs and go out and play. And you know, if if somebody gets what I'm saying or gets, you know, can even put something that's happened to me into, you know, twist it into, you know, what's happened to them or get them through something. I had a dude come up and said, "Man, uh, I can't even remember the song." And he goes, "Man, this song got me through my divorce." And I was like, you know, this song was nothing about it, but it, you know, it helped him through. And, Good, good for him. <laughs> well, back to back to the record grind. Sorry, you know, no, it's okay, <laughs> man. It, it's okay. But the record grind. Uh, one other thing too uh, is I'd like to talk about is we've got some uh, some key Memphis players as far as a uh, an icon frontman that you got to guess the. Oh yeah, from. man, Jim Dandy. 
Yeah, yeah. So he said, "Hey, boy." So yeah, Jim Dandy. If you tell us about some of the others that are on the album, some guys that played. Well, we had our uh, buddy uh, Zach Myers, which I've known him since he was probably twelve years old, probably younger than that. Um, I had a little studio up in uh, up in uh, here in Memphis. I had a little studio, and I was probably the first person to ever record him. And um, you know, Zach's doing great. You know, he's shined down. He's uh, I'm proud of him, man. He he, he made it. He did it. He did the thing. And, uh, He's uh, he's hooked up with Rhymer a little bit, and uh, when we was getting in Rhymer's studio, I just you know I threw it out there. I said, "Man, you want to play on something?" And and uh, he was like, "Man, I want to." So he came in and played, and uh, you know you you can't you don't find people like that. You know our kind of bands are kind of stigmated a little bit where you, people try to stay away. But you know him and Wayne Sweeney. Uh, I've known Wayne Sweeney since he's probably one of the first people I met in Memphis, and. Uh, you know, he said, man, I, I see him at stage stop. He was like, hey, man, I don't want to play on there. I said, bring your stuff. <laughs> you That's know? cool. And, well, uh, and we should tell everybody the album does come out on October the 6th. October 6th. And you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, High Vol Music. Um, we were lucky enough, to, uh, your management sent us a, a, a copy, and uh, I listened to it all the way up here. And I think, Chris, we, we both really liked it. And it's it's got that every mother's nightmare sound, but it's 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 modern. It's modern. modern. It's, what is it? Twenty seventeen model. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like I told you uh, before, we're interviewing a lot of the bands that are going to be at the Rock Haven concert. And uh, can you kind of maybe tell us how all that all that happened? Because have y'all ever all all three bands ever played together? The only time we ever played together was we did that benefit for Patrick Francis for Tor Tor, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I you know we get up on stage. I was like, man, it's, it's a daggone shame it took you know twenty two years you know all three of these bands in the same town to, to play together we went out on the road with tour tour and we i think we played a couple of shows with roxy blue but you know we never just uh i don't know why we never did you know uh i don't know why we didn't it don't make no sense but uh this will be the second time we've ever done it so <laughs> it's gonna be a big deal it's gonna um, be i think so i mean we're we're very i hope excited. i make it through it <laughs> <laughs> um do you know how long y'all are gonna have have to play or until they get that big hook and drag <laughs> us off <laughs> so two hours <laughs> it'd be really cool if, if uh before brett came on if like all three of the memphis bands got together and jammed jammed you know i think somebody was talking about maybe uh, at the end of their set maybe uh doing that or something but you know he's kind of finicky a little bit so uh you know we'll see <laughs> well i mean we're he's, a, he's on a different level than we it's, are. <laughs> but it, it's like we told todd last week man we're coming to see the memphis bands yeah you know? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, look, I, I grew up like everybody else. I mean, like this music, I grew up liking Poison, and I'm oh, this yeah. isn't this isn't a bash Poison because I don't have anything bad to no, say. No, man. You but, know when but, that record came out, you I was looking at that record, going, man, these guys are pretty. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah look, look at these hot chicks. Like, oh, <laughs> really? Wait a minute. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, we. It, he's not just saying that. It really is to go see the Memphis bands. Another one of our buddies, he's like, man, I'm going just because I want to see I want to see the Memphis bands. Yeah. I mean, everybody. And it's, it's cool. I think we were so fortunate being around Memphis that it wasn't just that we had a few bands that you know had some success. We had really good bands. Man, know? there is a lot of good bands here, man. When we, when I first moved here, I was blown away because when I was in Knoxville, it was, I mean, there was you know maybe six bands mm-hmm. <laughs> in the whole area, 
And uh, then I moved to Nashville, and it was a little more, but it's, it's so flooded with country. And I, we came here, and it was like, we were out here on a Wednesday night, and the clubs are full, and there's great bands playing. You're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Rock and roll town. <laughs> you know? Did you feel like there was any jealousy or animosity or anything? No, that was the one of the other things. You know, like I said, uh, you know, we uh, the uh, Sweeney was playing in a band called TNA, and they were on the producer showcase, you know, mm-hmm. right right next door to where we were playing, and you know, uh, but them guys were, you know, they took us to their house and fed us, and uh, you know, we've been friends uh, with them guys and uh, Tor Tor and, and Todd Poole and all of them since you know we got here. They've all uh, anytime we needed anything or vice versa, you know, no, uh, no, no. Uh, everybody's together you know that's what works around here because everybody's kind of together you know it's it's not everybody trying to you know, climb on top or push you know everybody's working for the same goal i think you know and it's just uh good music i'd rather be known for doing something good than than making a bunch of money off of it any any day so and so for for the fans out there for the listeners too we did get a little bit of new information about your band if you could shed some light well, we have uh, original drummer Jim Phipps is playing with us again, um, and uh, you know, uh, this was nothing bad on Lonnie. This has kind of been floating around for a while, and Lonnie has some stuff he wants to do. Lonnie, uh, Lonnie Hammer, a, a professional, great drummer, a good guy. He, uh, you know, the whole time he's been with us, he has done nothing but a hundred and ten percent of everything. You know, pushing for the band, so. Uh, you know, uh, there's no uh, bad feelings or nothing like that. It was just something that was, you know, it's always flirting, uh, floated around, and it was, uh, you know, it was always a chance that it could happen. And, um, you know, he had some things going on, and we had some things going on, so uh, it just happened. And, uh, you know, everybody's good, and uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be neat. So, after uh, you got Grind coming out October the sixth, uh, the big Rock Haven show. What's next after that? The uh, the next big thing we got um, is uh, we're doing uh, Detroit November fourth with Kicks, and then I don't know how many shows we're doing with them after that, and then um, great live band, man, the Sounds best like live band ever. Too. Them guys will murder you live. They're so good. <laughs> They've been doing it so long. They're they're uh, they're incredible. So I, so y- y'all y'all are playing planning on more shows though. Oh yeah, I've got a list. Uh, it's about two pages long of dates but they're all tentative dates and uh they'll send me a list and then the next day they'll send me a list and it changes so and every time i went to say dates it changes so i I told them to when they got a uh, complete thing that was in stone uh i'll throw it out there but yeah there's a bunch we're going uh getting ready to make our first trip overseas this year and uh Oh, first cool. time ever. Yeah. Huh? Where, where are you guys going? Well, we're going to UK, and then I think we uh, we might even. There's been talk about us going down to Australia and uh, all kind of neat places. Wow. So they'll think we really talk weird down there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but another album possibly? Oh yeah, we already start. We're already probably five songs. Uh, we got two in the can and three in the works, and uh, a couple that we've had from. Other uh, other adventures. Yeah, we're always working, always writing, man. I, if I don't write, I go mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's really cool too that we see now that you know. I know, kind of in the early two thousands, y'all were really, you know, really getting going. It seems like there's more of a focus now that I've seen as far as really getting yeah. going. I'm seeing that with you know, tour tours playing more. You know, they're yeah. they're getting active. 
I mean, hell, Roxy's getting together. I mean, that that's been years. And so yeah. it seems like all these bands are coming together, which I love. Is it just seem like there's more of a? Does it just feel the timing is right that there's more people are wanting that just kind of that back to basics? Yeah, kick-ass just rock. rock and roll, man. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I I, I think uh, as far as my part, uh, I've lucked out because I've put in, I've put three uh, bands together, and it's hard to get chemistry with guys. Get five guys with the same focus, and um, I lucked out on this last thing because everybody, you know. Especially me and Troy, I mean Troy uh, Fleming, he's been with me like 21 years, but we are we had a, a a point over there, and we're trying to get to it, and I, you know everything is focused on on making this the best we can and doing everything right this time instead of tripping through it, and um, I think all the bands do. I think you know you know Anthony and them, they're uh, you know they're just getting better and better. They're going to be uh, they're they're going to be hard to deal with you know at the at the Rocklahoma deal <laughs> I've seen you I've seen you boys live many times you, you can carry your own trust me <laughs> we've had our moments <laughs> great live band well to close it right before we, we're about, about to wrap it up right we're going to do a couple of rapid fire questions with you uh-huh. but first I do want to tell everybody October the 6th grind iTunes Amazon have all music uh, follow them on Twitter it's EMN band Yes, and uh, they're like their Facebook page, and like we tell people, go buy music. Buy um, music. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Um, this is a great band, and uh, it's a good record it's, too. It's, we it's both a good, listen to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a good record, and if you can, it's also got three videos on it. Just <laughs> it's, it's an interactive CD, right? Well, we were doing it that way, and then it, they turned out they called us uh, about two weeks ago and said, "There's a problem with the record." It's, it was like. 18 minutes too long with everything so uh-huh. it's actually going to be coming out as a double it's going to have a, a video disc and music disc so oh, cool. it's, you know and i just found that out but uh you know we wanted to put everything that we could you know we wanted to put some live songs on there to catch up to the older stuff eight new songs three videos and uh one stop shopping you know <laughs> right more incentive to buy that physical product you know, yeah. buy the record people and um, so what we're going to do is uh, when I post this episode on Facebook with the uh, the link to the podcast the first person that shares it on their Facebook and tags every mother's nightmare uh, on their Facebook page we're going to send you uh, what is now a uh, deluxe album of uh, Grind um, and the we'll, deluxe copy. The deluxe copy. We will uh, we will send that to you in the mail. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Chris now because he's going to rapid fire a few questions, and then uh, that's going to wrap up our interview. All right. Well, let's just go with this. We just get a little bit more insight about you. Um, first album you ever bought? First album I ever bought. Oh man, let me think. Uh, first album I ever bought. First album I ever bought. Aerosmith Rocks. That's a good oh, one. Oh man, that's a great. That's a good one. <laughs> no wonder you're still doing this, huh? <laughs> Oh, that's, if I, they asked me a question the other day, they said, well, who would you like to be trapped in an elevator with? And I said, uh, I'd like to be with Steven Tyler just to catch it, just to get in his head for, for 15 minutes. <laughs> it might be scary. <laughs> yeah, it might be. As long as you want to have love in an elevator. Right. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> uh, favorite album? Do you have one? Favorite album? Uh, golly, uh, I have to say Zach Wild, Book of Shadows, man. It's probably my favorite. Man, I just, love just, that. Just, I've, I've just said a great before. record. Just all the songs are great. Uh, 
and not for what it's just great it's great music you can turn it on listen the whole thing all the way through and then listen to it again that's a cool pick I love that record favorite band yep favorite band oh there's a ton of those uh give us two know, or three uh Alice in Chains uh, is probably right there on the top of the list uh Dirt's one of my favorite albums oh yeah time. man it's anything anything uh you know, uh, I have to say, uh, uh, Cooper, uh, uh, right now my favorite band's Hell Yeah, I have to say. The, it's got a uh, drummer from uh, Pantera. Paul, Pantera. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, man, Bud, Bud Vane vocalist. Yeah, man, it's just, uh, it's really good. It's really good. Now, if you could play in any band, aside from Every Mother's Nightmare, of course. Any band, uh, I would like to play, uh, I'd like to play an ELO. Really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting pick there. <laughs> that that's not one. That's I one of the thought. first concerts I ever saw, and it was incredible. So, and it, I, I would I didn't even know nothing about ELO tool till I saw. I seen the last tour with the spaceship, <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be good enough to play an ELO. But <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the last one, you know, you've, you've told us your favorite Every Mother's Nightmare album, Smoke and Delta Voodoo. If you don't have that, people buy it. What's your favorite track? Do you have one favorite song that you've written? Oh Man, there's a couple. Um, one of them I'd have to say is Garden of Stone, and it's just for what it is. Uh, but my right now my favorite track is uh, Blown Away. Uh, that's a good one. I actually listed that as one of my favorite tracks on the album. That's my, my buddy Jamie Mandrell died a year and a half ago, and uh, all that stuff is is he was you know, restricted to sitting at home, and we're sitting like at a window right there, and he was just like, man... Every, he was just talking about stuff going on. We were looking out the window, and that's how the whole song was just stuff he was telling me. And I, you know, I just wrote a song to him. You know, he was a good dude. Any chance, uh, any chance you play that at uh, Rock Haven? Oh, yeah. We play it every night. Cool. I, yeah. Well, Rick, we've really enjoyed this. I have, too. We've, now that I found you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully this won't be the last time we uh, we interact and, and have you on. Um, Man, like anytime said, I'm right up the we road. like we like having people on here, and uh, we try not to do a typical interview, uh, and we want to be more you know conversation. And uh, we've just man, it's just music, baby. It's music. We've had a uh, we've had a great time. So before we sign off, uh, grind October six on iTunes, Amazon, Highball Music. Anything else you want to say? Oh man, everybody goes crazy. <laughs> you're in the Tri-State. If you're kind of in this Memphis region, or I mean, as I said before, I don't care if you're in Cleveland or wherever, Cleveland, Ohio, that is. Come to this show, man. It's going to be a good show. You're going to get a lot of good music, a lot and, of good bands. And go to their website, and uh, it sounds like there's going to be more tour dates uh, posted there. Yes. So uh, go to their website, and um, here comes some now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go catch them because it sounds like they're going to be playing all over the country. Thanks yes, again, sir. Rick. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys, man.